Bowl season is just around the corner, and it's sure to be more difficult than ever to keep up with which players will be available and how injuries, opt-outs, and other personnel moves will impact performance on the field. At CFB Winning Edge, we do our best to stay on top of everything, which is why our player-based projection model has won 60.8% of bowl games against the spread all time. If you haven't yet, consider becoming a CFB Winning Edge Patreon supporter at patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge. And for as little as $5 per month, you'll get every bowl game projection this month. Welcome back, everybody. It's CFP Winning Edge, the podcast edition. I'm your host, Scott Bogman. Follow me on the Twitter at Bogman Sports. I'm joined, as always, by Nicholas Ian Allen, the owner and proprietor of CFP Winning Edge. Follow him on the Twitter at CFP Winning Edge and Xavier Trish, Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E, on the Twitter machine for him. Fellas, uh, another fun weekend. And, uh, you know, look, the Longhorns put up their most points in like a million years. So a, a very nice 69 points this week against K-State. I was very happy. So I'm in a much better mood. Of course, my Steelers lost. You know, Longhorns win, Steelers lose. So uh, first game of the season. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> look, you know, Washington had 10 days to prep. Pittsburgh only had five. So I'll make excuses all day long uh, for them. So uh, they played terribly. Ben didn't practice the whole week. All the receivers dropped balls. All, all that good stuff. But uh, Xavier, we were uh, treated by a nice shot of the uh, the man cave that our our boss man here Nick has, and uh, also he had to show off his steak as well. So football and steak, it was a great Saturday for you, Nick. We know that. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, it was fun, and and uh, I was complaining because here in the northeast we we were hit with a, a pretty big snowstorm on Saturday and got uh, yeah your power uh, went out, didn't it power oh. went out for a while internet went out for a little while so that was you know I, I was freaking out a little bit but fortunately uh, had just had a, a nice uh, dinner delivered and and uh, did have a, a nice looking steak so when I was complaining about showing you know what screens were on and off uh, you know as as the uh, internet was starting to to boot back up I did happen to uh, slide in a, a picture of a, a perfectly uh, medium rare uh, steak from a local establishment here in, in uh, Concord, New Hampshire. So, uh, you know, little little braggy, I guess. But, uh, you know, otherwise it was a, a fun weekend. We were treated to, you know, BYU Coastal. You talk about time to prep. Coastal Carolina had, what, 48 hours, something like that. And, and BYU had a, a little bit longer maybe because they weren't already preparing for another game coastal what was the days. shirt they had was it mormons versus mohawks what was it uh, Mo- Mormon Mormon versus mullets yeah mullets that's what yeah, it was yeah, yeah. so yeah, yeah. it's uh you know they're coastal carolina is having a, a ton of fun and, and jamie chadwell is doing a great job there as, as head coach they've got uh what seems like a really tight-knit group of guys that are playing well above you know all the all the talent metrics that that i pay attention to that we've created they've they've done uh, gone above and beyond our expectations for sure, and, and the media as well. I mean, they talk every game about how they were projected, uh, you know, or, or the media had them uh, pegged for last in the Sun Belt East this year, and here they are uh, knocking on the door of a, a New Year's Six Bowl. So uh, very impressed with them, and uh, that I think was just sort of the the highlight. Everybody was 
was really uh, excited for that game in particular. I know I, I was I was particularly excited for that game, but uh, some some you know maybe some uh, less exciting finishes uh, mm-hmm. other than that one that you know yeah. uh, one yard line there as, as time expired. But uh, you know Alabama LSU blowout, Clemson Virginia Tech blowout. Uh, but some pretty impressive performances from a lot of teams. Very impressed with Miami. Uh, you know, Indiana was able to come back and, and win as a uh, double-digit underdog with a backup quarterback. Very impressive. Uh, so overall, you know, another very interesting set of results. But I think, like most folks out there, I'm, I'm still uh, kind of thinking back on that BYU Coastal Carolina game. One of the one of the more fun games we had this season so far in my opinion. Yeah. It had shades of uh, the Super Bowl with uh, Mike Jones tackling Kevin Dyson right before the one yard line. Uh, I had to, I think Xavier had to go to YouTube to see that highlight. I don't know if he had <laughs> seen that one before as, as a young man, but Xavier also <laughs> broke some news for us uh, last week. He called Shane, Be- uh, Shane Beamer getting a new head coaching job at South Carolina. And it came true. So, uh, congrats, Xavier. That was a great call. Yeah, I, it, I'm going to be honest with you. Did not expect it to happen. I mean, you guys kind of – I won't say you guys talked me out of it, but after walking through his credentials more, uh, it didn't seem like a high, the hire would happen uh, until it was announced. Uh, I think that it's a great – like I said, I think it's a great move for them. And we'll, do, we'll, talk, we'll talk about it in a second. I think in a year where COVID has really hurt some of the revenue streams of some of these programs, these lesser hires – uh, or, or less expensive hires might be the trend that we end up seeing throughout college football uh, for the year. Yeah, you know, and some of the more expensive hires haven't been working out too. So mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I think all of that adding up definitely uh, is going to be a part of it. But when you reflect back on last week, what were the games that uh, you enjoyed? Obviously, Coastal Carolina with the big win being the biggest one. But what else did you uh, did you enjoy watching this weekend? Oh yeah, I mean for me it started on Friday. Louisiana versus App State. Uh, that yeah. game was a tale of two halves. I, I really enjoyed that ball game. I thought uh, up until I thought Zach Thomas played as good as he could up until that third quarter, and then tried to come back in the fourth. Uh, but it was just not too little, too late for him to make that kind of an adjustment later on in that ball game. Uh, for me, Texas A&M Auburn was unfortunately. Uh, too close at the beginning of the game, you know, Bo Nix doing his best Houdini at, you know, I think I really thought Auburn was going to get their prototypical uh, win towards the end of the year where they beat a ranked team that they shouldn't be in the ball game with whatsoever. They tend to do it every single year, uh, but you That's know, what uh, keeps Malzahn there. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, but Texas a was able to pull that out. You know, as much as I give them crap on this show, you know, Tennessee did not play awful versus Florida. Uh, they actually played pretty decently. And I don't know if that's Florida's defense not figuring it out that teams that they or Florida's offense figuring out that they cannot run the football or the fact that defenses have figured out how to slow down Florida. Uh, if you've looked at the, their scoring average over the last three games since that uh, explosion a couple of weeks ago, they've kind of teetered closer and closer to normal. Uh, and their defense is starting to show a little bit more cracks that we saw at the beginning of the year again. Uh, so I don't know if that bodes well for them moving into the SEC championship game where they could be seeing an Alabama team who we saw put, uh, you know, a, a 50 spot on, on LSU this past weekend. Uh, another really good game for me, even though I, I picked it wrong, was Indiana-Wisconsin. You know, to, and it was really because Indiana just galvanized as a team. That was a wholehearted team win in the purest sense of the word. And I think that when you look at that game, 
I think Graham Mertz has a long way to go. I think he'll be a good college quarterback, but I think he has a long way to go before we deem him, you know, the next guy in the Big Ten, uh, as I was doing earlier in the year. I think he's definitely taking a step back from the the, the high plaudits that he um, that he was given before the season started. Scott, I'm surprised you haven't brought up this game, but I'm shocked you haven't brought up TCU being Oklahoma State, you know, which is an upset. Uh, you know, Oklahoma State once again played pedestrian offensively, and for the first time this year. Uh, Outside of the Oklahoma game, their, their defense wasn't able to keep them in the ball game for a long enough time. TCU capitalized on that, capitalized on some mistakes from Spencer Sanders, and gets their pro, and gets their every year upset, which they do as well. Uh, yeah. So those are some of the games that I really enjoyed. Uh, and, and the Pac-12 for the first time all year has given us something to watch at night. I, <laughs> I have to finish off on that. Stanford beating Washington, which was a really good ball game. If you didn't, if you weren't able to catch it, Washington tries to make a late run at it in, in the fourth quarter and just comes up short. And California doing once again. I feel like we have a recurring theme here. They picked up their ranked win for the year. Now they can finish one and six. But you know, but they, but they picked up their run, their ranked win, beating an Oregon team. And pretty much, I mean, at this point, you really feel like the Pac-12 does not have a single chance of getting a team in the playoff outside of maybe USC. But really, it's it's looking bleak for them as a whole. Yeah, I mean, you know, with Ohio State sticking at four yep. uh, in, in the announcements the other day with, uh, you know, without playing this game and, you know, uh, a, as foretold by uh, our, our official predictor, Kirk Herbstreet, Michigan backing out of the game because of COVID, you know, obviously it's not it's not why Kirk Herbstreet said it with the conspiracy theory and all that stuff, but uh, it is funny that he said it, had to apologize for it, and then exactly what he said was going to happen happen so uh we see that anything else you want to touch on before we talk about uh some of the news and notes uh moving forward here nick uh well i i uh you know uh, sig marshall gets shut out by rice was uh, yeah i mean they uh were shorthanded like a lot of teams are i mean everybody's is you know dealing with stuff each week and uh that was a little bit of a, a part of it but you know part of it is uh, they just didn't didn't play well, and Marshall's kind of uh, fallen down a little bit, especially on the offensive side of the ball uh, as the season has gone on. And, and we were all enamored with Grant Wells early in the year, just sort of how he started, uh, just unbelievably with, with five touchdowns in, in week one, whatever it was, when the whole world was watching a game between Marshall and Eastern Kentucky because it was basically all we had <laughs> at, at that time. And, and so everybody, you know, oh, wow, Grant Wells, he's going to be the next big thing. And, and you know, he's he's been fine. He's had some good games here and there, but five interceptions against Rice, uh, including a pick six. Rice is, has played a lot better, finished uh, decently well, um, you know, uh, at the end of last year, got a really late start this year, but, but have played well. So uh, that was a, a – you know, big time win, a, a shock for sure. So we're starting to see it. It seems like every year, you know, late, late in the year, we get a, a few shocking upsets here or there. That was certainly one of them. And, and congrats to Rice for uh, getting that victory. Uh, one of you know, historic as far as uh, a ranked undefeated team getting shut out and, and uh, all of that. So uh, pretty, pretty uh, impressive performance there. But, uh, yeah, looking ahead now to, uh, you know, not, not a ton of, of high-profile games this week, it seems, but uh, still some, some interesting ones. I'm, I'm excited to talk about some of those Pac-12 teams that Xavier was mentioning. I was really impressed with USC on, on Sunday. Uh, I'm, I've been, you know, 
pleasantly surprised with UCLA this week. So uh, those two, you know, get a, a rivalry game there that's a little bit more, uh, you know, perhaps uh, interesting now than maybe we thought it was going to be a few weeks ago based on how those teams are playing. Yeah, Iowa State, uh, you know, dominating West Virginia. Yeah. Uh, another big one, too. I'm sorry, my upstairs neighbors are doing river dance, so I, I'm not sure I caught everything you said. I just wanted to throw that one in there as well. But uh, some coaching changes. We talked about South Carolina, Nick. Uh, what do you think about the Shane Beamer uh, hire, and do you agree with uh, Xavier with, you know, the, um, the all the financial issues going on? We're going to see some – you just lower priced coaches being hired this season. Uh, I mean, it's an interesting theory. Uh, well, you know, I, I don't know that I have a prediction one way or the other quite yet. It, it makes a certain amount of sense at South That's Carolina. That's the nicest way to say no. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's interesting. I, I feel like each year and maybe it's just my personality. Maybe it's just, I, I've often sort of, uh, have adopted the theory that the the more you know, the more you don't know. If if that makes any sense, I feel like I know yeah. less now than I did uh, this time last year. I, I you know I used to have uh, quick opinions on head coaches and think you know I I think this time last year or certainly a few years ago I would have been kind of shocked by this and 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 I've. I've met Shane Beamer once. He, he uh, was at Georgia when I was coaching high school football just down the street and, uh, you know, seemed like a really good guy. Uh, there, there's a ton of, uh, you know, buzz out there about the, the players seem to love him. And, and that right now is, you know, something that sort of drawing a, a little bit of a parallel to Tom Allen at Indiana. That was sort of the big talking point after that game was how, you know, when he was given a, a uh, interview on the field afterwards, couldn't get two or three words out before another player was coming up and talking about how much they love coach, you know, Tom Allen. So uh, there's something I think to be said for a guy like that, a, a, a true players coach, you know, Tom Allen, again, as, as an example, was, was not a head coach at, at the college level, uh, was promoted from a defensive coordinator. Beamer, a little bit different, hasn't been you know, a coordinator on the offensive side of the ball, but he's coached at a lot of big programs, was at Georgia, was, of course, at Oklahoma the last uh, few years and, and, you know, took that job to really uh, dive into the Lincoln-Riley system. That, I know, has been a big talking point. There's a lot of intrigue about, you know, they're going air raid, you know, who's going to be the coordinator, but that seems to be kind of a foregone conclusion that, that they're going to be spreading it out and, and, you know, opening it up and trying to go with that high octane offense. So, you know, I, 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 I've started to, I think, realize that my initial gut reaction on some hires like that hasn't necessarily turned out right. I mean, one that immediately comes to mind that has drawn a lot of comparisons is Dabo Sweeney at, at uh, Clemson, you know, guy who wasn't a coordinator, a uh, guy that's a, a player's coach and, and has been able to build a program by, you know, one being a very good coach, but two uh, really outfitting and, and giving his uh, coaching staff, you know, ownership over their side of the football and, and really relying on uh, bringing in and, and coaching up, his coaches, you know, and, and big time guys having one of the best defensive coordinators in the country and Brent Venables. And, and so it'll be interesting to see what Beamer can do building that staff and, and who he's able to bring with him and what sort of uh, he'll be able to surround himself with as, as a coaching staff. And then, you know, there's a ton of 
things surrounding, you know, what is he going to be able to do recruiting wise and, and all of that. It's a very interesting hire. I, I feel like there's so many different things to consider that I'm kind of holding off on an, on an initial thought of it, but I can see why it makes sense for South Carolina, especially as you mentioned, the monetary part of it, because they owe Will Muschamp $15 million uh, according to reports. So to, to be able to, you know, not have to pay a huge buyout to a, a head coach from somewhere else makes a certain amount of sense. And, and if it's a guy that they feel good about, and it sounds like he was, you know, toward the top of their list throughout the entire process. So, uh, and it also sounds like Beamer really, really, really wanted to be there, haven't been there before and loved it there and, and all of that. So be interesting to see a lot of, a lot of positive signs, but certainly some, uh, you know, some things that make you maybe a little bit uneasy that this is a, a job in, in the premier conference, you know, high money situation, high visibility situation, giving it to somebody that hasn't been there as a head coach himself before. So we'll see. It'll be interesting to, to see how it plays out. Uh, a couple other uh, coaching news and notes here. ULM and South Alabama announced that they have relieved Matt Viator and Steve Campbell of their duties. Kentucky announced it parted ways with OC Eddie Grand and QB coach uh, Darren Hinshaw. It appears Urban Meyer is out of the uh, out of the race for the Texas job, and that Herman is going to stick. I'm not really that surprised by that. I, you know, when, when Urban left Ohio State, you know, he cited health reasons, and so for that reason, all those guys always have some fire. Uh, and I want to coach, mm-hmm. but it, it just it just makes sense for him to take a step back and stick on TV. He's getting a ton of money to do that anyway. Um, He's really good at it. Yeah, I, I he, he's good at it. Yeah, I I enjoy watching him too. He bring, I mean, I don't know how good Matt Leiner and Reggie Bush are, but uh, he he's good at it. So, um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, Xavier doesn't like him either. Uh, uh, um, according to reporting from Austin Meek and Nick Baumgartner of the Athletic, the ball appears to be in Jim Harbaugh's court to return in 2021. I also did see that uh, they're going to offer him a. Uh, a contract extension, but it is for way less money and the buyout is much cheaper. So uh, I just, I can't imagine giving this guy an extension after all we've talked about this year and watching Michigan, but okay, you do you Michigan. Uh, th- that's fine. Uh, Chris Lee of Vandy sports said Tuesday, I'd be surprised if uh, coastal Carolina head coach, Jimmy Chatwell, isn't the guy at Vanderbilt. So that is a bit surprising. Georgia special team coordinator Scott Cochran is reportedly trying to make a push for the job as well. And a new name emerged as a candidate. Uh, CBS Sports' Dennis Dodd reported longtime NFL assistant Jonathan Hayes has interviewed. So uh, we'll see about that job. Also, uh, Syracuse head coach Dino Babers is not on the hot seat despite a 1-10 season, according to the athletic director at Syracuse. So, um, uh, Nick, <laughs> Nick, your thoughts on the beginnings of the coaching carousel, because of course we're going to have way more in a couple weeks here. Yeah. And, and if one of those big jobs were to open a Texas or a Michigan, it would really kind of get the gears turning. And, and uh, you know, urban Meyer is an elite elite head coach, you know, he's a super competitive guy. I, you know, I personally, I, I was the lowest man on the totem pole, and only coached a few years, but I still get the itch every once in a while and think like, oh man, God, I'd love to, to get back in it and, and do that. And I can only imagine a guy who's won, you know, multiple national championships at, at two different schools, considered one of the best all time and still, 
you know, considered uh, relatively young compared to some of the big names in coaching today. I'm, I can only imagine that it's kind of a daily thing for him uh, an itch to get back there. But if, it, you know, if health is uh, an ongoing issue, which is understandably so, that's been an issue the, the last couple of jobs when he stepped away. Uh, but if, if that were to happen, if Harbaugh were to pursue an NFL opportunity, then it really would get going because then, you know, who's, who's the next big guy on the list? Matt Campbell uh, is getting some NFL buzz as well, as, as well as, you know, maybe Michigan or, or some other jobs. And the dominoes really tend to fall when we get a big job uh, more often than not. I, I think I'm most intrigued by the Vanderbilt job. I, I think Jamie Chadwell, if you were to go there, would make a lot of sense. I mean, it's a system that, you know, it's not quite the traditional triple option. I know Jeff Monk and Army is somebody that's been uh, rumored to, you know, be interested or they're interested in or interview. You know, you never really know what what exactly the situation is, but he's a name I've heard. The triple option has a little bit of a a stigma in the old school sense that that Monk and Lund's at Army. At Coastal Carolina, they've kind of repackaged some very similar uh, aspects and made it fun and exciting for uh, college football fans. And, and so that you might be able to sell to recruits a little bit better, but uh, you also need at Vanderbilt probably something uh, a little out of the ordinary. So I think that that would be a very interesting hire. A, a personal favorite of mine that I've heard rumored to be potentially connected is Lance Leopold at Buffalo. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's done a great job and, and I think would uh, put, you know be a, be a solid hire. But very interested to see what direction that one goes because Vanderbilt is, is such a unique job and it's basically, you know, kind of uh, starting from scratch. So uh, it's a, it's a, it's an intriguing one for me. I, I'm, I'm, I'm sure going to spend a lot of time looking into uh, whoever it is that gets hired there. So, you know, some interesting things in the ACC, you mentioned the uh, Dino Babers, uh, that Xavier, it sounds like is a, is a money issue. They would owe him a lot to, to, move on this year but also did you guys see scott satterfield just sort of continually putting his foot in his mouth that with uh you know did he interview with south carolina and oh well you know my parents live nearby there and uh, coaches <laughs> need to say yes out for their career, but players you know that's a different it, it was it, it was uh it was rough there and they don't seem you know, the, the powers that be at Louisville don't seem particularly happy right now. So that's, I think, one to watch. Uh, it, it, it sounds like maybe there's a little bit of uh, souring on Scott Satterfield at Louisville. It'll be interesting to see what happens after they finish up their regular season or probably their full season, probably not going to a full game uh, this weekend. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that is – that's interesting. You know, you, you start to get the sniping. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's funny when that stuff starts, it's usually downhill pretty quick, uh, from there, but Xavier, your thoughts on the beginnings of the coaching carousel. Of course, we're going to have way more in a few weeks here and the off season is going to be interesting, but these moves are at least usually made quickly. Yeah. And I'm really excited to see what happens with the bandy job. Uh, cause I really think that, uh, James Franklin had that job as one of the better jobs in college football when he left. Now, obviously, we saw what happened with Derek Mason. Obviously, they fell back into the basement of the SEC. But you can win at, at Vandy. You just have to be able to produce. You just have to be able to recruit well. And they need to, and to have Vandy be good in the SEC East. Honestly, just makes the SEC more fun to me. Yes, the Vandy beat Georgia at one time, absolutely. But at the same time, to see Vandy good, it just boosts. It just bolsters the argument 
for all SEC fans. If Vandy's a bowl team, then you really can't say anything about how bad our conference is. And I really would like to see Vandy good again because I think one a good a good college football team in Nashville just makes for better better games as a whole. But I think that Vandy being good too, they're a school that has the propensity to do it. They just have to find the right coach. I didn't think Derek Mason was that guy, and now that he's out, I think they can go find the guy. I think the the concern with me about the coach coming out of Coastal Carolina is will. He, is this a, a flash in the pan here for Coastal Carolina? That's my biggest concern for him. Is yes, you hit, you know, you strike when the iron's hot, but he was awful last year. They picked him to pick, they picked him to finish last this year. And although they haven't, and they've obviously, you know, become one of the better teams in college football this year, are you sure that translate when he translates when he goes to Vandy? Are you are you positive that that kind of you know production will translate? I'm not saying that they will be one of the best teams in college football, but you know, six and six his first year or even, you know, three or four wins in his first year. Are we sure that it'll happen? Uh, when we look at Dino Babers, the fact that he's not getting fired is strictly a money decision. Uh, this guy deserves to be gone. You know, you, you look at Syracuse's time under him, one winning season in the five years he's been there. Uh, he even said to the media a couple of days ago uh, that he doesn't, that he didn't feel, I'm sorry, this is a couple of months ago, that he didn't feel that he was going to be able to keep his job in quotes uh, I know there's better days to come, and hopefully I'm here to get to see all of it. Is what it, it, uh, yeah. is what he said at a press conference. So I mean, he even knows he probably shouldn't have his job, but the 17 million dollar buyout that would you know that they would have to do to get him out of his job is the only thing keeping him there. So Dino sounds like a guy that wants a buyout. I mean, you know, it kind it kind of does. You know, sounds like a guy uh, who wants to go be a DC somewhere else, and is just right. like, get me out of here, please. Um, but yeah, I mean, and. The Scott Satterfield stuff. Like, dude, why? Why? This is where, like, we, I swear I said this last week. Coaches need to go through the same media training that their players go through. Because clearly, between him, it, it, Dabo, I mean, coaches just continue to put their finger in their mouth on a consistent basis here. And we just pick it up on this podcast. But media training, guys. Media training. I feel like because media days were canceled this year, they didn't get that initial version of it. <laughs> and now they're just letting go at the hip. They're just flying off at the hip and saying whatever they want to say. Like, Shut up. Just stop it. <laughs> uh yeah, I mean that's um you're you could not be more correct on that. Like some of the stuff that these guys are saying is uh just a little bit off the hinges. It's eyebrow raising. Like when you hear it, you go, hmm, someone's gonna get a hold of that and make it a headline, right? So uh that is what has been happening with a lot of those coaches, but um you know, uh, they're going to get better. We're going to see a lot of movement. I like your, I like your call out on, um, you know, what is going to, uh, end up happening with a lot of these coaches. It'll be interesting to see if that's the, the play out. Um, and, and I think at some schools it definitely will be because a lot of schools did lose some money. But before we talk about this week's games, one more thing. I don't. I think it's might be the least surprising thing that I have said into this microphone this year. But after these games got canceled for the Big Ten, they have now switched the requirements to get to the Big Ten championship game because Ohio State wasn't going to be eligible. I, I mean, I think it's what they have to do. I think they probably should have done it before the season started. Um, you know, just to be sure that they didn't look like idiots going into this. But also, you know, there's been a lot of backlash on their 21-day COVID policy and, you know, why weren't they in the mix of the teams that wanted to start uh, the season? So the Big Ten has looked 
uh, rough this year, I guess is the nice way to say it. Uh, but Nick, you, your thoughts on uh, the, the new, uh, you know, switching around this the uh, parameters for the Big Ten championship game. I think it's necessary, but I think they probably should have done it a while back. Yeah, I mean, I'm not surprised by it. And, uh, you know, the Big Ten has, has made some decisions that, uh, you know, unfortunately don't look great in hindsight. I personally, you know, I, I don't uh, get caught up too much in the uh, sort of the, the you know, the decision. Administrative crowd. Yeah. Yeah, I guess. I mean, and, and I, I try to see. Uh, their side of it and, and understand some of the reasoning behind some of the decisions that they made. And, and it's just unfortunate, you know, sometimes, uh, sometimes your, your process is correct and it turns out wrong. Some people out there would argue that their process has been wrong. And, and uh, you know, that's, that's a fair argument to make as well. So I, I don't necessarily have a, a strong opinion one way or the other, but I'm not at all surprised uh, that we're going to see Ohio state in, in the big 10 championship game and and uh you know they have been largely impressive and, and are uh the best candidate to make it to the college football playoff out of the big 10 and, and so i think that uh it you know it makes sense on on that level as well and uh you know i mean it's it's uh it's a weird year so it it, it was sort of a, a made-up rule anyway that they made a couple of months ago and and so it shouldn't shock anybody that it's you know they decided to get rid of it uh it's not like it, they you know been doing it for 100 years or, or whatever right, so right right not not at all a surprise but uh it, it's it's just another weird part of the season and and something for folks to uh, you know, debate, toss around, and, and uh, get mad about if if they choose to. Uh, Xavier, your 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 thoughts on this? Yeah, I'm be one of those people who chooses to get mad. This is <laughs> this is ridiculous. I mean, once again, another conference puts their foot in their mouth by making a dumb decision like requiring your teams to play a certain number of games in a COVID laden season, as if. I don't know. There's not a pandemic going on outside and games couldn't get canceled. Now all well, of a sudden when you make those restrictions to 21 days, like it's well, it, that it, I think was, was driven by medical folks that they were. No, no, no. And, and, and I completely understand that. But, but my point is if you're going to make the 21 days, you know, you've watched teams get it. You know, you've watched teams get it uh, multiple times, so you should have had this this game thing in there, knowing that you are most likely to hit this. You know, to 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 you know have a team like Wisconsin miss a bunch of games, and Ohio State. I don't know that they've missed a game that's been their fault yet. I think maybe last week was because Ryan Day uh, yeah. ha- had COVID and all that stuff. I think this week is more Michigan, if I'm. Uh, not incorrect. Uh, but yeah, it is definitely Michigan because of the Herbie stuff. And uh, but it, it's just they they should have started knowing they have that policy. They should have tied it together. I think that would have made more sense. That's all. Sorry, Xavier. Oh no, you're absolutely fine. And that's the problem that I have with the situation is it's a conference making putting their foot in their mouth, making a poor decision from the jump. And now that Ohio State would lose out on a possible championship game because of your rules. You go back and say, ah, you know what? I know we made the rules, but we're going to change it. Like, right. I, I, I just think it's ridiculous. Obviously, it's a decision for the conference's money. 
I mean, pocket, you know, the money in the pockets would would hurt if Ohio State got bounced out of the top four for not playing in the conference championship. You know, who, who knows the ramifications that would have happened if they didn't play in that game? Who knows? But at the end of the day, like I said, just a conference making a dumb decision from the beginning and deciding that we're just going to change that decision and nobody will remember the fact that we had this original rule and now we're just switching it up. Um, and it, it just didn't sit right with me because at the end of the day, you created the rule to begin with. It seemed like an unforced error. It's something they didn't have to do. They created a hurdle that, you know, again, in hindsight, looks bad and, and, you know, just just probably something that they didn't need to do and to begin with. And and yeah. Yeah, I I like that you put it into football terms an unforced error. That's absolutely what it is. This is, uh, you know, uh, dropping the ball. No one knocked it out of your hand. You, 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 You dropped it yourself. Right. Exactly. Uh, all right, so let, let's get on to week 15, uh, and we'll start out with Xavier. Uh, what game do you want to pick first here to lead us off? Oh, you've completely put me on the spot here, but that's fine. <laughs> no, that's, <laughs> no, that's perfectly fine. North Carolina, Miami. That, that's I got it. We got to talk about that because we got to talk about why Miami has somehow Miami continues to win and stays at 10 no matter what. The the college football playoff community does not respect Miami in the slightest. Obviously, that loss to Clemson early in the year really has hurt them when they have any kind of conversation for being one of the better teams in the country because of you know the style in which they lost that ball game. Uh, but Miami has just continued to ride the ship. They're eight and one. I don't know if anybody has just like stopped watching Miami football, but for the most part, Derrick King is still having a really good season. They continue to win ball games by the skin of their teeth, like they've done pretty much all year. And outside of the Duke game last week where they won 48 to nothing, I really think they can lose this ball game. I mean, you're, you're playing a North Carolina team that obviously has nothing to lose. The stress is all on Miami to win this ball game because they've got to keep pace with Clemson uh, at this moment, who at this point, you know, I, th- I believe Clemson is in, correct? Yeah, they're in. Yeah, so at this point, Miami, it, for Manny Diaz and that team, finishing 9-1 and one is a feat in its own right because Miami being back, this – would be a culmination of them being back to an to an sense uh, to a sense. You know, I think really when you look at this game, this is Sam Howells and Derek King's. This is Derek King's draft video for the next three to four months. Yeah, I mean, this is going to be what every game what game he points to. This is his second ranked team that he'll be playing all year. He has to go out there and have a really good game. Right now, draft scouts have pretty much said the same thing about Derek King. How good is he with his arm, and how good is he when competition is the best? We saw him play against Clemson, and he wasn't great with his arm. He was great with his legs. This is his opportunity to show everybody in the country that this is a guy who could be a, a, a productive quarterback in the NFL. So for him, in a sense, he has to come out here and perform. For Sam Howell, this is an opportunity for him to build on what has been a pretty good second season. Was it the heights that we thought Sam Howell could possibly be? Is it Heisman Trophy? No. But Sam Howell has made strides this year to becoming will probably will be one of the first or second quarterbacks taken when he decides to come out. I mean, I think this is this is going to be a really fun battle. It's going to be a complete shootout. But I think North Carolina wins this game somewhere in the range of 41 to 38. I think it's going to be a complete shootout. I don't think the, any defense will be playing this ballgame whatsoever. Well, I mean, UNC's involved, so there should be very little <laughs> So uh, your, your thoughts on this game, Nick? Yeah, it's uh, it's it's a matchup that I'm really excited to watch. I think that part of the reason Miami is is just sort of been hanging around that number ten spot. One, they've had 
some really close wins, as, as you mentioned, uh, some less than, you know, dominant performances uh, prior to last week, which really was. Uh, but they, of course, had a, a you know, a, a huge outbreak that forced them, I think, what, three weeks off, uh, something like that. So, uh, you know, at least, let's see, they, they last week was the first time they had played since uh, November 14th. So they were kind of out of sight, out of mind as the playoff rankings were getting rolled out and, and all of that. So I think, you know, not having that most recent game to refer to, like, oh, yeah, what did De'Ara King do last week? Uh, maybe we kind of forgot about him a little bit. And, and so uh, they did come out and, and have a, a, a great game Last week, I mean, a shutout on defense, their pass rush. They've got a, a lot of talent with, you know, Quincy Roche, the Temple transfer, Jalen Phillips, uh, looking like a, a former number one overall recruit like he was at UCLA before he came. And, and uh, they're, they're playing some pretty good pretty good defense. They did, uh, unfortunately, Al Blades Jr., it, it uh, came out, I think, yesterday that, that he has a heart condition uh, that they found during COVID. Uh, testing that uh, is going to sideline him for a few weeks. Unfortunately, that's going to be one uh, one less able body in, in the secondary, and and you know not a great matchup to be shorthanded. And Miami already has some depth issues on on the back end, so that's certainly something to watch. I, I think the pass rush will uh, you know certainly give them an opportunity to to uh, kind of keep Sam Howell in check a little bit, but. You know how how are they going to be stopping the run? Because prior to last week, I mean, North Carolina uh, didn't didn't put up great numbers uh, running the football most recently, but have been you know uh, among the best, certainly in the ACC, and and uh, really impressive across the board. The the two running backs that they've got, Michael Carter and, and Javante Williams, both putting up you know huge numbers, could potentially both. Uh, surpass 1,000 yards uh, by the end of this year. Probably, you know, both should. But um, actually, Western Carolina, they played last week. They did fine. But against Notre Dame, I, I meant to say, uh, held them under three yards a game, uh, under 100 yards. Only only one other defense this year, Virginia, had, had held the uh, running game in check quite like that. So interested to see, you know, how, how Miami uh, can try to make North Carolina – one-dimensional like like Notre Dame uh, was able to do. But, uh, you know, it's it's a very evenly – these seem like two very evenly matched teams. I mean, they're, they're from a talent standpoint, uh, pretty similar. Miami ranks ninth in our roster strength ratings. North Carolina's 14th. Uh, you know, Miami's the top 10 offense in terms of talent, top 10 defense. North Carolina is, is seventh in offense, 30th defensively. And, and so there seems like there's – you know, a little bit of an edge there for Miami, but they've played very similarly in team performance ratings so far. North Carolina's 25th overall, Miami 29th. North Carolina, the sixth best offense in the country, according to our numbers, but the 74th defense. Miami hanging right around uh, 40 on both sides of the ball, so a little bit more balance for them. And it'll certainly be interesting to see if this is a, a pure shootout like you guys think, and, and I certainly do uh, think that that's possible. But our numbers call for a, a slightly lower scoring game. The the official uh, total was 67.5 when we released these to our patrons earlier this week. We've got it uh, coming under. We've got Miami winning 
31-29 in that range. Uh, our, our official projection is Miami by one point uh, and, and three quarters, one and three quarters there. Our, our stats only model basically has it as, as an even, you know, as a, as a toss up, uh, talent edge gives Miami closer to a, about a touchdown, uh, edge, but, uh, yeah, overall see a, a really tight game, a good matchup. Miami does have the, uh, home field advantage here and, and a little bit, of a talent edge. So I, I think, I think Miami can get it done, but North Carolina is a, a, you know, they're, they're going to be tough. They're certainly going to test them, uh, but should be a great game. Probably one of the, the, you know, ones I'm most looking forward to this week for sure. Yeah. And that one is uh, Miami is a uh, three point favorite. 67 is the over. So a game that I want to, I'm, I'm going to pick just because I want to hear what uh, the prediction on it is, Nick. And, and, this one is a Big 12 matchup. It's Oklahoma on the road at West Virginia. I think we all know West Virginia is a tough place to travel to. You got to fly into Pittsburgh. You got to bus in uh, to West Virginia. And Oklahoma, they've won, I think, six or seven games in a row. They've looked really good ever since that uh, two game blip that they had in the beginning of the season. They've looked like a real contender. Obviously, not going to have time to, to make up and uh, get into the the uh, playoff this year, but uh, I think this is a big game for West Virginia. I don't think they have to win it, but I do think they have to at least stay in it uh, to kind of prove that they're one of the better teams in the Big Twelve. And I think they are. I think they're getting there. Uh, Nick, your your thoughts on this game, and and what do what do the models say about this one? Yeah, this is, this is a pretty interesting one. I, I was uh, we talked last week about West Virginia in in depth. We talked about how. Uh, they were not, you know, favored to win. We did think that Iowa State was going to cover last week, but that West Virginia was a top 25 team in our power rankings at the time, had shown a lot of improvement in year two under Neil Brown. And, and so there was certainly reason to think that West Virginia, you know, that that game should have been a lot closer than it ended up. Very impressive performance from Iowa State, a little bit of a letdown for West Virginia, but they are a they're, they're a tough out this year, for sure, and and you make up a, a great point. Anytime a Big 12 team has to travel to West Virginia, it, it, it's tough. I mean, it's, you know, the, the uh, shortest uh, conference rival is still like over a thousand miles away, right? right. So it, it's, it's ridiculous, you know, it's, it's, it's that part of it is, is a little bit uh, ridiculous to me, but, you know, you, you also make a, uh, a great point that not only is it far away, it's also pretty difficult to get to. And, and I think Morgantown, that, tough, yeah. that, that's the, the, uh, the biggest aspect of home field advantage this year. There are some fans in some places and normally West Virginia has a, a you know, a really raucous crowd and, and certainly does have get a boost. I think from, from the crowd on hand this year, less of that because there will be fewer fans. But, but I, I do think that the travel aspect of it is, is, you know, a concern and, and does give, uh, a, a home field advantage, maybe not a full, you know, two and a half or three points like we've seen in years past, but one and a half, two points is, is uh, about what we've seen so far, according to uh, some research that I've, I've uh, dabbled in and, and seen, need to dive a little bit deeper on. But, uh, you know, it, it's, it's tricky because Oklahoma, we've seen some really, really uh, – 
strong performances from them, especially, you know, like you mentioned, after those early two losses. But we've also seen kind of some really lackluster results, of course, the, the two losses there. And, you know, last week, Baylor held them to, to 27 points mm-hmm. of a surprise. Good to see the Oklahoma defense playing well and, and held Baylor to 14, held Oklahoma State the previous week to 13, you know, Kansas to, to single digits. So there there are certainly some steps being taken in, in the right direction uh, on the defensive side of the football. They are now down to 14th overall and in, in, or excuse me, 14th in uh, defensive team performance. That That's a little bit higher, I think, than most people would expect down to 12 on offense, which is a lot lower than we're used to. But Oklahoma right now, I mean, they're sixth in our power rankings. They're sixth in our team performance rating. So not only, you know, are they – they look good on paper. All the, the talent metrics are, are looking pretty good. Fringe top ten basically across the board. But they're playing like a, a you know, a solid top ten team uh, according to our numbers. West Virginia, as we mentioned last week, is, you know – Roster strength in the the high 20s, recruiting numbers in the high 30s, low 40s, most of them. Team performance has been really solid on defense until last week. Last week knocked them out of the, the top 10. They're now 12th on the defensive side of the ball there. But, you know, even though they've made some improvements, especially running the football, uh, they're only 87th in offensive team performance. So if you've got an improved Oklahoma defense and they do – you know, in my opinion, and, and the numbers I think back it up, look like an improved defense. It's going to be hard for for West Virginia, I think, to uh, you know score enough to to really stay in this. And and the line when when it was released officially uh, for us was thirteen and a half. Oklahoma uh, was favored. It, it looks like it's fourteen now at, at Caesars, at least. Uh, we've got it at 15, so not you know not a, a big edge there, but we do have Oklahoma covering. We do have uh, the, pers- uh, the the stats only model, very similar number there, 13 and a half roughly. We we had them covering the official uh, and the talent edge. You know, if, if we only look at roster strength and, and recruiting metrics, we would expect Oklahoma to be a double digit favorite. So pretty clear, I think that that this is a game Oklahoma should win. You bring up some good points about some, you know, uh, some sort of outside uh, aspects that are worth considering. But I think just the, the talent on the field and sort of how they they stack up uh, kind of position by position. I, I feel pretty good that we're on Oklahoma here. I, I think they're going to be able to win this and cover. Our number is the our, our final score predictions, 38-23, something in that range. Okay, yeah. I mean, the line's 13 and a half, so. Uh, you, it's that it's right there. So Xavier, yeah. uh, do you see this as a easier Oklahoma win? Iowa state did just dominate West Virginia, but that was West Virginia travel. Yeah. Well, where I do think West Virginia will be better at home. I do think Oklahoma wins this game comfortably. Uh, I, I think when we, when we look at this ball game, we look at a West Virginia team that's coming off of a loss where they didn't do really all that much wrong. They just got outplayed, you know, no turnovers, uh, you know, time of possession was pretty even. They didn't, you know, they did not play well at all, and my biggest concern with West Virginia is: was it the what was it the the upgrade in talent playing an Iowa State team that was confident, that's coming in as probably arguably the best team in the Big Twelve right now, and, and to then parlay that with playing the, the second best, if not one again, once again, arguably one of the best teams in the Big Twelve, will they just be outmatched talent wise again? And when, when you look at this game, when you look at West Virginia's schedule this year. 
they've been able to do really well defensively against you know some of the lesser talent in the Big 12. Obviously, you have that game against Texas where they held them to 17 points. But when you look at the top-tier teams in this conference, they have yet to win a game against a team that is currently ranked in this conference whatsoever. Uh, you know, Oklahoma State and Texas being their, those two losses, uh, there are only two opportunities to play two teams that were ranked. They lost both of those games. So when you look at an upgrade in talent throughout the year, West Virginia has struggled, especially offensively. And that there's one thing to say that, you know, your defense can hold up against lesser talent. But when you're playing a team like Oklahoma, who's coming in as probably one of the hottest teams in the country up there with Florida and Alabama, especially offensively, Spencer Rattler has found his footing and is now beginning to really show us the quarterback that he could really become. It's not a good time to play them. You know, and offensively, I'm concerned about West Virginia in, in the sense that I don't think that they'll be able to put up enough points to cover in this game. Uh, defensively, Oklahoma's going to get whatever they want to. I, I think the only way that West Virginia covers this game is if their offense can show up. Uh, I don't think that that's going to happen. I think West Virginia wins this. I'm oh, no, sorry. I think Oklahoma wins this game by three touchdowns minimum. I, I don't see it being close whatsoever. I think what we're seeing is I think we're seeing the 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 two best teams in the conference teeing off against West Virginia in back-to-back weeks and kind of just trying to one-up each other. I think Oklahoma sees what Iowa State did last week to West Virginia and it's like, all right, they beat them 42-6. to six. Let's see if we can beat them 48-3. to three. And I'm not saying it's going to be that big, but I think that that's the kind of uh, energy and the kind of uh, situation that West Virginia finds itself in. They're just playing two of the most confident uh, teams in the conference right now and two of the best conference teams in the conference at the end of the year. And I think they're going to struggle on Saturday. I think Oklahoma wins this game pretty easy. Um, and I'm excited to watch those two teams go head-to-head uh, for the Big 12 championship game. I think that's going to be one heck of a game uh, for a lot of reasons. Yeah, that's going to be a good one next week. Uh, Nick, you're up. What game are you picking? So I, I would like to talk about uh, UCLA at, at USC. And, Sorry, and uh, that one's, uh, you know, a, a pretty intriguing, uh, you know, game on my list. And, and I know that, you know, we talked a lot actually uh, about USC in, in the off season and then of course took a break because it, it took so long for them to take the field, but they are a team that our numbers really were pretty high on coming into the year. And, 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 you know, there's no reason really for them to change. They had a couple of games where, you know, we're a lot closer than maybe we expected against Arizona State and Arizona. Uh, we're very, very fortunate to, to get away with a win uh, against Arizona State. But they've looked better and better each week. And last week against Washington State, uh, Scott, you and I were talking uh, before we hit record that – it was a game that uh, looked in some ways more impressive, you know, watching it, 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 it. There were certain aspects of it that looked really impressive when you watched it. There were certain part of the box score. Maybe if you uh, didn't catch it, if you were watching the NFL on Sunday or whatever, you know, maybe you, you look at the box score and thought, okay, it's not, uh, you know, not really. If you're one of those four people watching, a uh, few people watching, the NFL. I didn't say few. I said if you happen to be. the uh, the four <laughs> touchdowns from Amonra St. Brown, you know. Uh, but but I I actually I I flipped back when they they said he had three touchdowns in the first half because you know first my Steelers quarter. played yeah first quarter excuse me yeah the Steelers played on Monday so I had USC on my smaller TV and I had the red zone on my big TV so I did I did see a so decent amount of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so the four, the fourth touchdown, I, I did see. So, 
Uh, but yeah, I mean, that was impressive. It's weird to have college games on Sunday. I mean, mm-hmm. as if this year couldn't get weirder anyway. But I mean, we're having uh, NFL games on Tuesday, so <laughs> Wednesday, <laughs> yeah, and Wednesday. So, yeah, yeah. but but uh, you know, I mean, the the Amandre St. Brown was was uh, a fun story, but uh, not you know the the most impressive of of four touchdowns. I mean, it, yeah, four touchdowns is impressive, but uh, a couple of them were. You know, just sort of short, basically handoffs kind of kind of thing. But he had he had a couple of really nice grabs. But I thought Keaton Slovis looked uh, the best that he's looked all year, which is certainly a good sign. USC is is struggling to run the ball, but uh, they did, I don't know if you guys heard this during the game or, or saw anything after, but uh, USC was had one offensive lineman that could practice last week. And it was a true friend and they were just doing seven on seven all week. So, you know, I guess it makes sense that they didn't even really try to run the ball much, right. but uh, they, they were starting multiple true freshmen. They were really shorthanded on the offensive line. They've had some injuries in addition to, of course, the, uh, the obvious uh, thing that's going on there, but uh, man, you know, when, when those skill position guys get going, uh, the receiving group, one of the best, in college football, certainly. We've got it as our third best receiving uh, core in the country behind Alabama and, and Ohio State, and it's very, very close. I mean, Tyler Vons is a 100-rated player. Monroe St. Brown's 100-rated player. Drake London is probably going to get there eventually. I, I, he's one that I'm really, really excited about. We saw Gary Bryant Jr. get involved. Uh, Brew McCoy had a, a couple of catches. You know, good to see him getting uh, some work in. So USC really, really impressive offensively. And then probably the, the most impressive player to me uh, was Talona uh, Hulafanga. Uh, and he was, you know, he's a safety, but they were playing a lot of dime against the, you know, run and shoot of, of uh, Washington State and, and moved Hufanga into the uh, into the box. And, and he was all over the place, just, just absolutely uh, everywhere had a, a a really impressive pick that he was able to run back, almost uh, took it to the house, leapfrog, you know, jumped over uh, Jane Delora. Incredibly, incredibly athletic, impressive play, and, and he was just all over the field. Ton, ton of fun to watch. So anyway, I, I was pretty enamored with USC on Sunday. I, I, I happened to uh, turn over there after. Uh, catching a, a tiny bit of the Falcons game, but uh, sorry to hear that. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it's been a little, little rough there, but uh, yeah. So USC, I think, is is a top ten caliber team, but UCLA is really been a pleasant surprise, and and they've of course had some COVID issues. Uh, Dorian Thompson Robinson missed a couple of games, but uh, he came back last week, looked great. I thought, you know, has has. Uh, taken a small step. I know that he's made a lot of, uh, you know, had some some decision making issues in the past, turned the ball over a lot in the past, but that seems to be correcting itself. Uh, things seem to be, you know, getting up to speed. Not quite the Chip Kelly offense of old, but sort of moving in the right direction. Demetri Felton is one of my most favorite players to watch in, in college football. He's a, a running back who's got receiver skills, can help in a, a ton of different ways. Really fun uh, player to watch. Kyle Phillips was one of the best freshman uh, receivers in the country last year. And, and you know, Greg Dolcich has been a weapon at tight end. And, and you know, the defense has, has been an issue, uh, certainly, for uh, 
you know, that the, the Chip Kelly era there at, at UCLA, but but they're making some strides. I mean, they're they're 56th in defensive team performance, certainly not, you know, <laughs> certainly not great, but uh, a slight improvement over years past, believe it or not. And, and they're playing like a top 50 team and they're they're 41st in our overall power rankings. That's that's a pretty big jump from where we projected them. We had UCLA in the 60s and, and uh, that loss to Colorado to, to open the season doesn't look as bad as it did. Uh, at the time, the undefeated Buffs, of course, and, and they took Oregon uh, to the wire. So mm-hmm. UCLA's been in every game. They've, they've of course, uh, won three. If they were able to, to pick up this one, secure a winning season would, would certainly be, uh, you know, an, an accomplishment. And I, I did do a little bit of research last year about rivalry games where the uh, road team is uh, traveling less than a hundred miles and, and uh, the, the, the home field advantage really has been negated in those situations. There's a pretty big edge on the road team traveling a short distance. And, and I think there's a variety of reasons for that this year, you know, maybe we can't really rely on that because everything is different, but this is, is, you know, that sort of situation. UCLA is at home. This is just a three point uh, point spread. At least it was officially when, when we announced it. Uh, or when we released our projections, but we see USC, you know, despite UCLA's improvements, we see USC as our clear favorite and USC is banged up and they've had some COVID issues. So there are, you know, some concerns that, that maybe these numbers are a little bit bigger than they probably should be, but our stats only model has USC by about nine and a half in the in terms of talent edge, USC would be an 11 point favorite if that was the only thing that we were looking at. So, you know, put, put that together with the coaching factors. And I know, you know, not everybody loves Clay Helton, but uh, he's, he's been able to post some higher uh, performance ratings, at least in, in recent years compared to Chip Kelly. They've got an edge there. We've got a, an overall official projection of USC by eight. So that, that's a pretty big gap. And, and being able to travel, uh, you know, a short distance, knowing that that's kind of another – check mark on, on the on the board. Uh, I like you USC this week and, and I think you know hopefully they're getting healthier. I think the the defense uh, is uh, you know showing some real signs and then they're just absolutely loaded at the offensive skill positions. If that offensive line can get a little healthier, I think USC still has some room for improvement and, and we'll see if UCLA is able to, to hang with them. But I think USC could win this one by you know double digits or or a couple of touchdowns. Your thoughts on this game, Xavier? How do you see this one playing out? Yeah, I think that it's kind of ridiculous that USC is only a three-point favorite in this ball game. Uh, mm-hmm. You see, for me, USC has done nothing to, I, and I get the the concerns about you know how many players they'll be able to fit, how many you know who's going to be starting for them coming this week. However, when we look at just I'm going to use Nick's numbers for a second. When we just look at the talent edge alone, I mean, that should say in in its own right how deep USC is as a team. And regardless of the people that will not be able to play for them or could or may not be able to play for them on Saturday, gives them more of an opportunity to beat a UCLA team that, yes, has made progressions this year. But Dorian Thompson-Robinson, for me, hasn't taken that next step just yet. I think he's getting there, but he's not there yet. You know, he, he's still, when they're winning ball games, he's still in a very much a game manager role, making sure that he doesn't turn the ball over, not taking amazing amount of throws, keeping the ball, you know, keeping it on the ground. You know, even last week against Arizona State, you know, 18 of 24, 192 yards. That's game manager-like numbers. 
in, in the grand scheme of things, especially when you also add into the fact that he rushed the ball 15 times, 49 yards in the touchdown. You can see that they're making sure that he's keeping the ball, you know, they're not taking too many shots and they want to make sure that they, they're keeping themselves in ball games. They're not allowing Dorian Thompson Robinson to lose them games, kind of what he did in his first couple of years at, or his first year at UCLA. USC is the better ball club. I expect them to win this game by a lot. Uh, if you're going to be the best team in the Pac-12, which as of right now, USC might be, uh, with Oregon taking the couple of losses that they have this year, then this is the time to show it. You know, they have yet to have, outside of last week, have yet to have really a kind of a, a signature win on the year, uh, for per se, but to go on the road and beat UCLA by, you know, 25 points, would be that for them. Yes, it's not going to bolster them into some college football playoff conversation or anything like that. But at the end of the day, USC is going to play for the one thing that they have less to play for, and that's pride. And in a rivalry game, there's nothing better than 20 years from now, those kids are going to be able to talk about beating UCLA by 30. Like that's There's nothing better than beating your rival, being the breaks off your rival. And so I think USC goes in and does that to UCLA. I don't think it's a close ball game. I think UCLA is trending in the right direction, but they're not there yet. I feel like UCLA, USC is going to be a really good game next year. Uh, kind of how I felt like Oregon, Oregon, Oregon State was going to be a really good game this year, and we kind of saw Oregon State getting there last year. I think the same thing goes for UCLA. We're seeing that they're trending in the right direction, but not this year. Uh, it's not going to be a competitive ball game. Gotcha. Well, what is your second game of the week? What are you picking for the second one here, Xavier? I had one. I can't remember what it was now. <laughs> It was I on the top. Sprung it on you. Yeah, but it wasn't even that. I just couldn't remember. Was it Georgia Missouri? That's the only other double ranked uh, game. I, I could talk about that game, but no. Um, I I, didn't, I don't want to sit here and talk about uh, J T Daniels and what he may be able mm. to. He he he's kind of started to tick me off a little bit with the NFL ah. draft con- with the NFL draft conversation. Nick, you're muted. Uh, with the NFL draft conversation, he's kind of started to tick me off because you've played two games. You've looked good against two pedestrian defenses and now all of a sudden you're thinking about throwing your hat in the ring mm, ah, yeah, he's not yeah. rubbing okay. me the right way well, let's let's go ahead and talk about that because I, I was going to pick all right well the, yeah this can be you, you go ahead there stuff. yeah, yeah uh, no, I, I i i like this game for jt Daniels. once again it's going to be another opportunity for him to play and show his ability as a quarterback georgia for me this year as dominant as they have been defensively it's the same old story with georgia which concerns me against missouri Offensively, we can't get to the quarterback without sending more than four or excuse me, sending more than five. And that concerns me. They have not been able to get consistent pressure all year. Aziz Oshalari leads the uh, or is tied for first in the, in the conference in sacks. But if you look at most of his sacks, they come when the quarterback rolls out of the pocket and he just beats and he gets to them with pure speed. It's not him winning at the offensive line and, and you know, our DB is not essentially getting a coverage sack per se. So that concerns me about Georgia. Uh, but for me, the thing I want to see from Georgia in this game is for them to progress the offense along again. Take the shots. This is why we get guys like Jermaine Burton, George Pickens, you know, uh, Washington. I, I can't remember his first name, the tight end who just signed with us last year. This is, an op- yes, this is an opportunity for us to essentially show the recruits what our offense can look like, giving uh, a quarterback that can do so. Uh, for JT Daniels, like I said, this is an opportunity for him to boost his draft stock, even though – I've heard nothing but third-round grades for him, so I don't know what Kool-Aid he's sipping on to think that he could leave right now when this year doesn't count for your eligibility anyways. So might as well come back with an opportunity to win a national championship and play a full season. But now, you know, 
we'll leave after a three-game sample where I've thrown, you know, against a Mississippi State secondary, which has been pedestrian all year long. Ah, um, going for uh, going to Missouri though, I, I think this is a team that we can't under we can't you know uh, overestimate and under excuse me underestimate because Missouri has been able to put up points this year. This is a Missouri offense that consistently has been able to throw the football around the yard. And for for always, Missouri has one guy that they lean on. That guy for them is Larry Roundtree. That is going to be who they lean on all game. Connor Basilek, as good as he has been this year, Larry Roundtree is who that ball is going to go to. And if we have and if we struggle against the run, which we have at times this year, this game is going to be ridiculously close going into the third or fourth quarter. It happened against Mississippi State. We couldn't control the clock. KJ Costello and uh, oh my God, the other quarterback can't remember his name off the top of my head. Rogers was were killing us on a consistent basis. Our corners were getting beat. The, the, the blueprint's out for our corners. Throw it deep, 50-50 balls, see if they make a play or not. Tyson Campbell has struggled all year on 50-50 balls. I don't know how he's a first-round grade at this point, but it must be nice being 6-2 and running a sub-4-4. I guess they just say we can make it work. But these are the, these are the concerns I have for Georgia coming into this game. I expect I expect Georgia to win this game. I don't think it's going to be a blowout, though. I will be honest with you. I think Georgia wins this game by 10 points, and we just gawk over, you know, how great JT Daniels was for another weekend. Uh, but that defense, once again, is just okay, which is something they've been over the last few weeks. Nick, how do you see uh, how do you see this playing out? Like I said, the only other uh, ranked game uh, with two ranked teams in the same game this week outside of Miami. Um, uh, Georgia is a 13-point favorite. 53-and-a-half is the over in this one. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty interesting, and and uh, I thought for the last couple of weeks, it's like okay, our you know Missouri's kind of you know moving up slowly but surely in our power rankings, and Larry Roundtree certainly has uh, something to do with that, and, and the offensive line's done a, a, a you know a, a decent job for them, uh, and Tyler Beatty's another one of those guys, you know, similar to Demetri Felton that that can do multiple things and, and really like to see how they can get him the football in a, in a variety of ways. So Missouri's got some weapons, and and then you know on the other side of the ball, they've got one of the best defensive players in all of college football, in, in Nick Bolton, certain somebody that uh, certainly is is getting some All American consideration and and uh you know there are some other uh other players as well that that you know that defense has been a a you know not not dominant unit by any stretch but they've they've had uh some good games last week was was not necessarily one i mean arkansas and, and missouri were going back and forth and and uh it was a, a, a crazy shootout but they've been above average defensively and and uh you know they they've been a team that uh, can uh, give some you know opponents trouble offensively and and Georgia has looked better with JT Daniels at quarterback and and uh, you you would think that they will continue to improve they they seem to be getting a little bit healthier in in some spots defensively more so it sounds like Jordan Davis may 
finally be ready to get back. It sounds like there's a chance Richard LeCount, their own, you know, potential All-American, uh, could play for the first time in, in you know, since October. So uh, that certainly would be great because Georgia is is playing at a top 20 level, according to our numbers, defensively. They're, they're 17th in defensive team performance, but we expected it, you know, this is the, the number two in terms of our defensive roster strength numbers. We expected this to be probably statistically the best defense in the country. And they've had some injury issues that have been a little bit of a, 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 you know, part of that, but have disappointed somewhat, not been quite as dominant as we've expected. They're playing great special teams. They're our number one uh, special teams team performance uh, ranked team in the country, but offense is, you know, right around 40, which is probably uh, a little lower than we would have, expected given the offensive coordinator change given uh what we thought coming into the preseason was an, uh, an upgrade in a lot of ways at quarterback but maybe they're finally starting to get that with with jt daniels i was a bit surprised uh, like you xavier when i first heard that he's getting a little bit of buzz i mean i think i, I a couple of weeks ago it, it somebody mocked him and as a potential first rounder i i couldn't Oh my God. Uh, yeah, I, I I don't know if that was going to stick, but but I did see that just very briefly. But anyway, that would be a bit of a shock. I, I would hope to to see him come back for for a full season, and and would would think if he did that Georgia, uh, as a, you know, we're getting towards the end of this this year. I'm already starting to look ahead to 2021. I, I think if JT Daniels were back, Georgia might be uh, a, a you know a top four top five uh, you know that type team in the, in the preseason and depending on what happens in Alabama uh could potentially be our highest ranked SEC team depending on who comes back for for uh which team so anyway they're they're you know the the talent obviously is there there have been some hiccups here and there with the offensive change with the quarterback position uh in flux early in the year but that seems to be corrected you know, have been banged up on the offensive line, have been banged up in the secondary, have been banged up on the defensive line. So we haven't quite seen uh, quite what Georgia could be. And going up against a Missouri team that that I thought we were, you know, as I said, they were creeping up the, the power rankings. I thought, hey, well, maybe we're on to something. Maybe we're seeing something that, that people are, are maybe not seeing. But then you know, Missouri gets gets ranked in the college football rankings this week. So it turns out that they're 31st for us, where I guess a little underrating them. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's a it's a game where Georgia is a clear favorite, double digits uh, across the board in all of our metrics. Talent edge. If if we were only looking at talent, Georgia should be a three touchdown favorite according to our numbers. The stats only model, Missouri has played much better than its talent profile would suggest. That number comes down to 10 and a half. So Missouri would cover in that instance, but uh, our overall projection model is, is pretty much in line uh, with the current number. When we released it, it was, it was 13. We've got Georgia favored by 14 and a half. They've got an edge at, at every position other than uh, running back and, and at every other spot at, other than uh, offensive coordinator. We do have uh, Eli Drinkwitz, who calls the plays there as a, a better offensive coordinator grade, according to our numbers, than, than Todd Munkin does. But, uh, you know, Georgia should win this game. And you think, okay, they're they're potentially positioning themselves for another, uh, you know, high-profile bowl game. Missouri does seem to uh, be moving in the right direction under Drinkwitz. But I, I think that 
there's a pretty big gap between these two teams. I am a little bit surprised that Missouri is ranked at, at this point, but you know they're they're capable of giving uh, giving Georgia a game, especially if Georgia doesn't play quite to the the level of their talent, which we've seen a couple of times mm-hmm. this year. So uh, it, it's, it should be a, a a fun matchup, but Georgia should be able to go in and win. It's just a uh, you know, are they going to be able to, to really play up to the level of their potential and win this game by two touchdowns or, or more? Uh, or is it one where they kind of let Missouri hang around, hang around, and, and then eventually squeak it out? But I think the odds are, are pretty low of a, a, an outright upset. But, you know, maybe like we talked about this this time of the year, that's when – some of these uh, shocking results can happen. So I guess if you were to look at it and, and think, okay, this is a long trip, Georgia going on the road, you know, maybe it's a scenario where you could see a, a, an upset of a highly ranked team. But I think Georgia's just, you know, got too many, too many talented players and, and t- edges basically in every position. Uh, I, I, I don't think this is a game misery. All right, so we have time for one more game uh, before we end out here. So, Xavier, uh, I, I will uh, cede my pick to you. Which game do you want to take a look at last year? Uh, the most head-scratching game of the week because he has the two most head-scratching teams in this year. We got Penn State versus Michigan State, two two-and-four <laughs> ball clubs that you look at their schedule and you go, well, Michigan State's two-and-four, but the two wins have come against ranked teams. You look at Penn State – They've lost every game up until the last two. It looks like they're finding their stride. I think this is just going to be a fun ball game because because neither team has either has anything to lose. You look at a Michigan State team that, like I said, their two wins have come against Michigan and Northwestern when both teams were ranked, and, and you don't really um, that doesn't make any sense when you look at the uh, the way that they've lost their other games, which have pretty much been getting manhandled in, in every other ball game. Uh, you look at their quarterback situation, Rocky Lombardi. Uh, a guy who has been pedestrian most of the year has not been able to find a consistent passing game throughout all throughout the season, which has pretty much been their biggest issue offensively. Uh, they can't continue their drives off a of third down. You flip that to the other side and Sean Clifford and a guy who statistically has actually had a pretty okay year, but just has not been able to do what's necessary to win ball games. Uh, a guy who had a lot more pressure on him coming into this year and has not been able to live up to that pressure whatsoever, but a Penn state team that looks like it's found their footing uh, as much as you can find your footing when you're already 0-4. Uh, you know, but in this game, I think we get to we get a glimpse of what we're getting next year. And that's really why I picked this game. Because this is Penn State, this is the end of Penn State season. They have nothing to lose, but all you're looking at and all you're gonna watch for college college football fans is this game and whatever other games they can schedule towards next year as to why Penn State might be back into the top 25 next year. This is a team that, you know, like I said, like we all said, we had them picked second in the Big Ten. And they have floundered immensely. But at the end of the day, next they're probably going to be ranked in the top 25 next year. And this is going to be a game that you look at as to why that might be the case. If they go out against Michigan State and have a really good ball game, that's going to boost their their argument going into next season when they're ranked like 17 to start off next year. So I really like that game for that reason. Uh, I think Penn State, as bad as they've been this year, I think some of it was luck in the Indiana game. I think also some of it was just they lost – after they lost that first game, I don't think they had any more will to play in some of those games that they played throughout the middle of the year. Uh, but they rolled that ship, and it looked like they're about to finish with a three-game winning streak. Yeah, and Nick, they're about a 15-point favorite here in this game, 46.5 uh, to 47, somewhere in that neighborhood. 
is the over in this game, depending on what book you look at. How do you see this one going? Yeah, it, it's uh, it's an interesting game because one thing, uh, Xavier, is pretty easy to forget. Despite it not being on the official schedule, they will have another game because mm. the Big Bands did that where on championship weekend they're going to – Oh, that's uh, right, yeah. Slide everybody up. So, I, you know, they don't have it listed on pretty much any schedule, and, and our schedules on the, the FBS team profiles don't have them because we just don't know who they're going to be yet. But, uh, but they will get another opportunity, and, you know, even though they've got five losses, we'll have a, a losing record basically regardless. Uh, I think Penn State might, you know, get invited to a bowl since there's no, uh, you know, there, there, there's no – Criteria. Uh, this year. Yeah, yeah, they're they're not going to be barred from it this year, and as a brand name. So, well, you know, they might have an opportunity to get to to get up to five and five to have a five game winning streak going into next year. And I can I can guarantee you they will be a top twenty five team. I, I know for sure they'll be top twenty five in our numbers. They are right now, uh, believe it or not. They're they're twenty third in our power rankings, which is is a bit wild. But they've played you know a little bit better than that zero and five start would have indicated uh, they're, they're still not playing up to the level that we expected. I thought Penn State was going to contend for the Big Ten title. I thought if, if uh, there was going to be a, a conference with the best shot of getting two teams in, it might be the Big Ten, and, and that second team might be Penn State. But they certainly have fallen well, well short of that. Uh, they're you know playing a little bit better defensively. They rank 32nd in our team performance numbers on defense, but just 67 on offense. Part of that is Sean Clifford just hasn't quite been able to, to get going, as you mentioned. Part of that is is just the running back unit getting decimated uh, by injury. And, and uh, they did get Devin Ford back, who's the third guy on the, uh, the depth chart you know, in the preseason, but he missed uh, a game earlier this year, was able to come back last week against Rutgers, and, and sounds like he'll be closer to full speed uh, this week. And, and, you know, they still have a lot of talent across the board, really, but but on defense. I mean, Shaka Tony, uh, Jason Owe, those guys are – we're going to hear, you know, them and, and Antonio Shelton, those guys are going to get drafted. And, and even though, uh, you know, they might lose uh, a couple of those guys, Tariq Castrofield, they're still – a lot coming back, as you mentioned, in, in uh, 2020, most likely. It doesn't. I don't think they're going to lose a ton of juniors. Uh, so, so we'll see. But, but I, I can almost guarantee that Penn State will be a, a top 25 team in the preseason next year. And, and depending on how the last few games shake out, they might, you know, be be playing up to that level if they're. Two and seven going into there, then, then maybe not. But if they are five and five or, or four and six, something in that range, I, I certainly anticipate they would. As for this game in particular, we, we see it pretty similar to what the market and the odds makers say. We've got Penn State uh, favored by almost 16 uh, in our official uh, point uh, spread projection. The talent edge, we've got Penn State favored by almost 12. Uh, and then our stats only model actually likes the Nittany Lions a little bit more. That number seventeen. Our, our final score projection much higher scoring than maybe not much, but but a bit higher scoring. Uh, we've talked about that a lot this year. That that basically everything uh, in the forties we're going to be over. But we've got Penn State thirty four, Michigan State seventeen. That seems about right. I think Michigan State is going in the right direction, uh, but uh, I, I think this year. You know, a lot to overcome. Rocky Lombardi is is injured, has 
played a little bit better in, in recent weeks, but we're not sure if he's going to start or, or Peyton Thorne. You know, they've had some uh, injuries at running back. Receiver Ricky White, you know, has been a little bit banged up. So uh, I think that, you know, uh, it will be interesting to see how Michigan State sort of rises up in this game. Obviously, they upset Michigan. They upset uh, Northwestern, top 10, you know, uh, division champion Northwestern. So they're capable of giving anybody a, a decent game. Uh, but I think that Penn State is, is just too talented. I think they're going to be able to to win this. 15, 15 and a half is, is kind of a weird number, but I, I think they could win this by 10, something like that. And, and uh, even though we do have Penn State – uh, you know, covering here, I don't feel great about that. I, I think probably somewhere in the 27-17 range. Sounds about right. All right. Well, uh, we got to hear about the all three agree. And, and before we get there, Nick, I don't think I asked you what our record was uh, last week. So uh, fill us in about how it went last week and then the all three agree for this week. Yeah, so we, we were fortunate to get a late – uh, add to that when uh, the Western Kentucky Charlotte game was added and, and that line was uh, posted after we concluded here, but, but we were on Western Kentucky there. So uh, we ended up seven and six on, on all three agrees. So we're at 55.7% for the season in, in that is, uh, instance. Uh, we had a, another, you know, solid week, 25 and 20 overall in our official model. The, the stats only model had a, a little bit of a setback in the town edge uh, model had a little bit of a setback, but like I like I sort of predicted, our, our official model is really rounding into form, and and then you know bowl season has been really really good for us each of the last two years. So excited about that! But uh, this week there's some interesting ones. We have uh, five instances where all three agree, and we actually think that the underdog should be favored. So those are our Utah plus two. That game just got moved to Saturday morning, so a little bit different there. We think that Nevada should be favored over San Jose State. That was two and a half when we uh, posted it. Western Michigan, uh, plus two and a half. We think they should be favored over Ball State. Really explosive offense. Western Michigan is, is uh, I think, the best team in the MAC, even though they got upset last week. So I think they should win that one. Washington State, we actually have uh, favored. Uh, uh, two and a half is uh, they're, they're currently underdogs to Cal, but we're not a believer in Cal, uh, despite last week. Uh, their upset win, and, and then Memphis. You know, we, we were in the same scenario with Memphis last week against Tulane. Uh, this week, we're going back to it against Houston. Houston hasn't played in like six weeks, it seems. So yeah. that one, I, I just, I don't have a great feel for it. Uh, and it's, it seems like you know, similar to last week that that didn't work out well for us. So you know, I don't have a ton of confidence in in that one, but I feel pretty good about. Utah, I feel pretty good about Nevada. I feel pretty good about Western Michigan. The others that uh, we, we think, you know, all three uh, agree that, that I feel a little bit better about, Illinois plus 14 and a half, uh, Minnesota plus 10 and a half at, at Nebraska. That's one of our biggest edges of this week. Uh, Rutgers plus eight feel decent about uh, against Maryland. Uh, I don't feel good about Bowling Green plus 24 and a half. I don't feel great about Louisville minus two based on all the, the off the field stuff there. Don't feel great about UAB minus eight because they're going to be down to like 40 players, it sounds like, and, and had a uh, wide receiver opt out this week. Troy plus 13 and a half against Coastal Carolina. 
I don't know how to feel about that. Could be a little bit of a hangover effect from last week. Uh, so we shall see. Wisconsin, we think uh, that's a pick them against Iowa, but we think Wisconsin's favored, uh, you know, in all three of our models. Washington plus six, that game might get canceled, but, but we like Washington. They're a top 20 team in our numbers. Louisiana Tech plus 21 and a half against TCU. Our stats only model, which actually called Coastal Carolina upsetting uh, Kansas early in the year and Louisiana upsetting um, uh, who they be, Iowa State. And then I think it actually had the K-State, uh, Arkansas State. That, that stats only model predicted all three of those. Thinks that Louisiana Tech, should be favored in this game. So that's a, a kind of a weird thing when I saw it. But so far, you know, some of those strange ones have, have worked out for us. USC minus three, we mentioned. Virginia Tech minus two over Virginia. I, I do like that one. And then I like UNLV plus 20 at Hawaii as well. Our numbers see a pretty big edge there. UNLV has been bad. Quarterback in the news this week for kind of a weird uh, situation. But uh, I, I think 20 is too much against Hawaii, who's been a little bit, uh, uh, you know, up and down so far this year. So a lot of them this week, not a ton of confidence in all of them, but some of them, some of them look pretty good to me. So hopefully we'll have another winning week and, and finish strong. All right. Well, that is going to wrap it up for us. Remember, you can find us all on the Twitter machine at CFB Winning Edge for Nick, at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E for Xavier, and at Bogman Sports for me. Good luck in all your bets, and we will see you back here next week for conference championship games. Should be a lot of fun getting uh, deep into the season and then bowls uh, moving in as bowl well. Time. So uh, all kinds of stuff going on next week. So good luck on your bets this week, and we will see you next week. Take it easy, everybody. The CFB Winning Edge podcast is brought to you by our Patreon supporters. You can support this show and help fund our 2021 off-season improvements by visiting patreon.com slash Edge and pledging as little as $5 per month. Thank you to all who have supported us this year, making 2020 our best season yet. 